Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochilillo. And before we get started, I'd like to thank the contributors to my show, because without them and without you, there would be no show. Uh, first, I have my executive producer, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger. My senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me. My binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. And monthly co-host, Jared Murphy author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information there on how you can contribute. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Cynthia Sue Larson, and she is the author of, I don't know, 10 books maybe? And uh, one of them is called Quantum Jumps, Reality Shifts, High Energy, Auras. So it looks like this is going to be a fun episode. Thank you for coming on today. It's my pleasure to be here, Gary. I'm really glad to be talking about my favorite topics. Yeah. Um, So what got you interested in, I don't know, this type of uh, energy healing and quantum theory and auras and stuff like that? Well, what I think what really started it off was just being a child and noticing that there's a lot of stuff going on, which we I would now call anomalous or metaphysical, but there were no terms for it when I was a little girl. I just noticed I was witnessing a lot of things other people weren't seeing. So as I um, grew up and studied physics, I got a degree in physics at UC Berkeley, it occurred to me that there is something going on in the quantum realms at levels that our perceptual acuity does not always register, although we're capable of it, developing high sense perception. So long story short, started in childhood, just noticing really weird anomalous stuff. Like I'd see dark scuttly things. I'd feel the presence of what you might call spirits, like angels and so forth. And I noticed mind-matter interaction that was definitely happening, even though if I tried to demonstrate it with like my mom or someone else watching it often didn't work. Hmm. So that was the, that was the setup. It's like, okay, there's something going on with reality that I would love to better understand, better appreciate and share what I'm observing with others. Because I think when we put our information together, we can find a fuller picture of what's going on. You know, when I was younger, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there about this type of topic. Like, Quantum physics, I mean, I guess it existed, but the stuff that was written on it was way outside of my realm of understanding. Um, so what were some of the first things, uh, first books or shows or whatever that you know enlightened you to the possibility that these things actually are real and not your imagination? Right. Well, I, I I somehow became confident that it was real. Um, I think what happened is I had a Kundalini awakening, so it got a lot more intense for me personally. So I couldn't, I mean, I could choose to ignore it at my own peril, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how to describe 
kundalini but it's in, intense is one word for it that was 1994 and so it took me about five years to integrate that while i was integrating it i came across some wonderful teachers authors um the likes of fred allen wolf who is a great author he's written so many excellent books on quantum physics and consciousness bringing it together and so he was a huge part of my integrating what i was observing and witnessing and and how to describe it so that people could uh, grasp it either from the realm of physics if they're open to such things or just everyday life so that the physics doesn't seem dry or boring so he was a huge influence also pmh atwater who wrote a book called future memory and i think those two were key and very instrumental and then a third larry dossie can't go without mentioning him and he's a medical doctor who's mm -hmm. written about a number of mind matter experience um just all kinds of information about from the healing point of view of course because he's a doctor but also just uh from the point of view that there's this oneness so uh that was his most recent book is just talking about this one mind the idea that everything is connected so these are three of my mentors who I'm grateful are still around and still with us and still doing their thing. Awesome. I do know PMH. I've interviewed her. Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, so what was the Kundalini awakening like for you? Like, how did you experience that? I think I, uh, well, it came on rather suddenly for me after a long, long, long period of feeling like I needed to wake up. So that year, 1994, around springtime, I felt like I'd overslept and I I felt like I was waiting for something that hadn't happened. And I think um, a lot of people have pointed out that some of these awakenings occur at the times of the um, equinox. And for me, I think that that spring equinox of 94 was where I recognized I need to wake up. And then by the autumn equinox, it was happening. It was right around, maybe a little after the equinox, but I guess it was like November of 94. What had happened is my husband had gone off to some business trip. And then when he returned, he said that he um, suddenly had this epiphany, uh, just looking at the hotel room ceiling. It doesn't sound like much looking at little bumps and shadows and light and so forth, but but something about the way he was describing it felt like that's what I'd been waiting for. Like, okay, good. Now, now it's all green lights. Let's go. It's like I'd kind of been waiting for that little marker to appear so that I could experience. Um, but I, I had no idea what I was about to experience. Mm -hmm. It was, oh my gosh, Kundalini. I, that could take a whole show just to describe that. Basically, in a nutshell, it was a series of experiences um, that just, uh, it was affecting my everyday perception of reality. I was feeling like current was running through my body. And if there had been any energy blockages that I certainly see how people could spontaneously explode and that kind of thing. Cause there's just so much energy running through and I was getting spontaneous knowledge about things that were happening at remote locations. Uh, like I just get a glimpse of someone's life that was a friend of a friend and like almost too much information like why am i seeing this <laughs> like like a conversation they're having that's meaningful to them but i felt like whoa that's real and it's happening and oh my gosh and sudden 360 degree vision around my body um just this uh, immediate uh introduction into astral travel 
and lucid dreaming was just sort of nonstop. So, and then, then the mundane stuff is just seeing lots and lots of clock um, repeating numbers. And during the two weeks of the most intense Kundalini experience, every night I wasn't sleeping much anyway, but I'd be waking up at exactly at only these times, at these times and these times only, at 111, 222, 333, 444, and 555 every single night for two weeks. That's the normal part of this experience. <laughs> um, just <laughs> all the rest is like, whoa, weird. And it just gets weirder. Sounds like fun, actually. I want to try it. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Um, I would caution that make sure that there's nothing else going on that you need to be doing that um, that you're responsible for that you that doesn't matter if you're going through something super weird like I don't do drugs but I imagine that it must feel like trying to act normal talk to your neighbors carry on a conversation with people while you're really in a different place and that was the difficult part for me for those two weeks because it just um, so I, I don't think I'd ever use the word fun after having had the experience I, can, I know that it looks that way from the outside on the inside of it, it was just so intense and it was terrifying and it was exhilarating and it was mind blowing, mind expanding. I, I actually felt like my construct of reality had to expand. And if, I, if it didn't, then which which meant all my beliefs were being threatened at the same time. And that sounds like fun, except unless you're going through it. And then it's I don't think I'd use the word fun <laughs> personally. <laughs> um, after that, though, when, after the two-week period, once things settled down, what was it like to have that expanded view of reality? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, for, from frustrating because I couldn't talk to too many people about it. I would try sometimes and then realize that um, they really, there was nothing, there was no shared basis of experience. Maybe if I was talking to people who had been through ayahuasca or some kind of sacred mushroom experience or something like that, they could probably relate. But most everyday people could not relate to the fact that that all of what we take to be physical reality is primarily based purely out of energy. And this is something I had known, and I knew it when I was quite small because I never really forgot my between life experience. I never, I never lost my awareness that. Um, that we don't need to be afraid of death and that we're all connected. I knew that, but this Kundalini really brought me front and center back to that awareness without any wiggle room to pretend that I think otherwise or, um, you know, so it was hard to talk about with other people, um, but really, really extraordinary. I started feeling quite blessed, even though I was still integrating and it did take about five years to fully integrate. Hmm. Um, once this happened, how did you integrate the new perspective into everyday life? Well, um, I guess by staying in touch with my high self, not losing that connection and recognizing that, that I can choose to be any version of myself I wish, lesser versions that aren't so wise, that don't have that intrinsic knowing, but those are ultimately disappointing versions of myself. So I think that's like the number one takeaway is recognizing that there is a level of me that is um, capable of witnessing 
so much more reality than I can grasp with my brain and with any given egoic self that I might be operating from. So there's a level of wisdom that, for example, knows what to do each day and how to focus, um, what things are important and that kind of thing. And I'd been benefiting from that for actually all my life. But but now I had a knowledge of the responsibility of that, that this means that my connections and relationships matter in a very deep way that I don't think I'd recognized um, before the Kundalini. Um, interesting. Uh, I kind of lost my track of mine, track my, my uh, whatever I was thinking, because I was just looking at your page on Amazon and... <laughs> One of the things that you were on here is about plant consciousness and music of plants. Oh yes, <laughs> and I'm like, so no, like, no, like thinking, like, as you were talking, I'm looking, like, that sounds really cool. I'd love oh, to be so able cool. to hear like the music of plants. Like, yeah. Like, what is that oh, about? So amazing. Oh, it's totally amazing. It's um, there's a device from Dominator. People can now you can check it on YouTube or go to their music of the plants website and listen to what it sounds like but i first heard about this in the year 2000 when i was at the international conference for science and consciousness in albuquerque new mexico and stephen halpern was doing a concert for the conference he's a keyboardist he works with a synthesizer and he had a midi and the keyboard and all that equipment there and in the middle of his con concert he said that there'd be a small brief interruption there'd been a special request by some researchers that wanted to demonstrate a prototype device that permits regular plants could be a, your typical house plant or outdoor plants to compose and play music and so this device consists of something that looks a little bit like uh, what you might see if you're going through a lie detection test. So it's like we would, for a human, you'd look for galvanic skin response. Plants are part of our same family tree. So even though they don't have skin like we do, they have plant membranes. And so one, one electrode is clipped onto a leaf, and then the other polarity is like a long probe. It goes into the soil, and then the plant gets to here, it got to hear what it was doing, you know, how it's, it's like a biofeedback machine, basically. The plants have the ability to hear. And so what we witnessed right then in June 2000 was this amazing experience where for the first time a plant was playing music and it could hear itself doing, playing a few notes that were accidental. It went like ding, 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 and then silence, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of like, what was that? And then listening and listening and nothing. And then the plant starts playing again, ding, 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 you know, and before you know it, it was composing a beautiful song that sounded unlike anything human that I'd ever heard. It was, there was a peacefulness and a tranquility and a harmony to that music of the plants that right there in that moment convinced me because the researchers were saying at some point we'll have a handheld device that anyone can use indoors or out. I thought, yep, I want one. I'm definitely <laughs> sign me up. And it took about 20 years, but this year finally, um, oh, and I've been to Dom and her in the meantime in 2007, I visited, but they did not give me a tour of the actual 
facility where they do a lot of this plant research. I think it's for the folks that live there in Dom and Her, the, the artists and residents that do the development of all sorts of technologies. So I've heard about a room that is, there's a locking mechanism for the door and the plants inside the room are capable of mobility. They're on little wheeled platforms so they can just think and manipulate where they are in the room. They can move around, they can open and close curtains, water themselves. But most in interestingly, they can have full control over the door lock mechanism. That means if people show up who are angry, the plants choose not to open the door. It's like, well, no. And <laughs> they can also prevent certain individuals from coming in if I guess they aren't in uh, communion and sort of a state of harmony with the plants. So I've not visited that room, but I've heard about it. And these are the sorts of experiments going on in Dominar, which is situated close to Torino in Italy. Wow. Uh, are you able to buy these devices? Yes, they're now for sale. And I put my email on their mailing list at music of the plants. I think it's .com. Not sure, but I, it's one of those websites. If you just type in music of the plants, it should pop up and you get this, the product for sale page as well as some videos describing what this is and how it works. And what I did is I signed up for email announcements because I looked at the price and it, it was a bit steep for my budget. Um, forget what it was exactly, but maybe five or $600. But it goes down in price to about half that sometimes. So if you get on the mailing list, then you'll be notified. That's what happened for me. They had a surprise sale pop up and then they sold out instantly. But they told anybody that signed up during the sale time that if you like, the device will be back ordered. And it got here very quickly. So I was really thrilled to finally have this music of the, of the plants device and be able to participate communicating with plants in a special way is besides the usual talking to plants and feeling their presence. It just gives you such a beautiful way to interact. So you can choose the type of music that the plant might be playing, the style of instrumentation. Uh, you can, you can adjust all sorts of controls on this little device. That's the size of a small cell phone. And it's also the speaker. So it's, it's just so easy to use, so fun. And then you get to find out, does the plant want to play music? Which plants play what kind of music? And I've taken it outdoors. My strawberries have played. The, I've got ginger lilies, kind of a ginger plant, and they've played. And they're really into it. And then I've got some potos, uh, potted plants indoors that are very, um, very wonderful musicians. And then I've got my longest relationship with plants in my life is my ficus tree that i've had since 1984 mm -hmm. and and it loves to play too so i, th I think all these plants knew that i, I was going to be getting this device so they were I, i'm remarkably lucky with all these plants that are very eager musicians and most of the music seems very upbeat and very relaxing very healing wow do you think these plants are able to communicate with each other telepathically? Yes, I do. Uh, I think they also have chemical means of communication that some of the scientists are noticing. Um, in, in the soil, the, the plants like trees and bushes will reach out to one another and share nutrients. So if one tree is having a bit of a rough time, the others will 
assist it. This is documented and scientifically proven. But then for those of us who can talk and listen to trees, I'm something of a quantum mystic because I love quantum physics and I can also uh, hear sometimes and talk with trees and plants. And so I've witnessed this myself, that one of the redwood trees near my house, uh, right next to my house, it was concerned about a redwood tree that was some 20 or 30 feet away. And uh, I think it had been sharing nutrients, including hydration, because we've had a bit of a drought lately. So uh, I did get a very clear message from the redwood tree that I'm close to that it's doing fine. But could you please share some water with this farther away tree? And their root systems do spread out over the whole yard. So mm. that was a kind of a surprising message. But yeah, I do listen to these things. Wow. That's something I've always been interested in is the secret life of plants. Yes. Well, I think plants have so much to teach us because they're so good at living peacefully, harmoniously on the planet. And for the most part, cooperating more than fighting. So they seem much more like an example of wisdom in process. Like it's, this is the way to live, the way to be. Yeah, it's almost like they're wiser than we are. I definitely get that feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they don't have brains like we have, but they definitely have consciousness. And it seems like what they do with it, if you ever have time to just hug a tree or just sit at the base of a tree or be near a tree, and if you're open to feeling what they have to offer, it's possible to feel so much love. At least I do. So, and that's when you feel like, wow, these guys are wise. Hmm. Everything's connected. Yes. Um, you know, what also is interesting with, with this, with trees and plants that I find is they have a connection with sacred geometry too, which I always thought was cool. The patterns in the leaves and in the bark and the root system. I think you can hear that when you listen to the music too, because they, there's something interesting that happens when I listen to a song by one of my plants that it doesn't have the same kind of chorus like we expect. That's a mathematical construct. Like you're saying, the sacred geometry is sacred geometries, mathematics and music share a common thread right there. Mm -hmm. So when you understand sacred geometry, then you can understand music theory and you can understand um, that there are different ways to look at music. And what I hear from plants it just sounds like the deepest kind of healing background music that you might hear if you're getting a Reiki session or something or an energy attunement or a massage, because um, there is a chorus. There's sort of a repeating harmony that comes back, but it's almost like jazz in the sense that it's not exactly what you'd expect. And the repeats are much farther apart, like a whale song. So it seems like they're singing a slower song that it definitely is repeating. And the, and then when your body recognizes like, oh, it is repeating and it's happening. I can feel it on a subconscious level. I can feel my autonomic nervous system resetting. And, and this totally ties in with sacred geometry, that there's a microcosm within the macrocosm, that there's a, a sort of a tree of, we even say tree of life and that mm -hmm. we look for these relationships. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The tree of life is a common symbol through almost every culture. Yes. And that's not an accident, I'm pretty sure, that the that, that trees are some of our longest lived sentient beings on the planet. They've 
like the redwoods on my property, they will hopefully outlive me by a long shot. They're capable of living thousands of years. And when I see people cut down trees that are hundreds of years old, some people are doing that now in California for various reasons. But to me, it's a tragedy. It seems like that's almost criminal. <laughs> like, mm. don't do that. These are our elders. If they're still healthy, let's um, nourish them, cherish them, take care of them. Yeah, we don't need to be cutting down old trees. I'm more of a proponent of using bamboo and hemp. Yes, and there's there we see microclimates here in California too. Um, something else that the, the redwoods in particular are so good at is collecting fog from the air and then creating a rainforest. So they will, even when it's not raining, they will turn fog into rain and nourish and hydrate an entire garden. Wow. I think we're seeing similar wisdom from other plants, like hemp is being used for so many things now, and it's been decriminal decriminalized in a lot of places. I'm not a user of that particular plant because I've got an allergy, but I know a lot of people get a lot of good from the, the CBD oils, and there's just so much good from all sorts of plants. Oh, yeah. I, I use the CBD oil for uh, like nerve pain, and it's great. It's amazing. And I guess it works for pets too, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I went way off topic from your books. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's an, actually, I do talk about plant consciousness in several, couple of my books. I bring it up in Aura Advantage. I bring it up in Reality Shifts. I feel so strongly uh, and I've witnessed so often that plants do have sentience, that um, we can communicate with our food, we can pray for our salad, and and you can, I know people might think, well, if a plant is conscious, then should we be eating it? Well, until we learn how to live off pure energy, that's, I, we don't have a lot of ways to go, there's not a lot of wiggle room here, but you mm-hmm. can, you can have a conversation with your salad, you can talk with it, you can bless it, you can sanctify it. It can bless the water you drink, the food you eat. This is getting back to the indigenous way of living on the land. But it's also really powerful when you think of our quantum connectivity and the entanglement that we see within quantum physics that connects everything and all that is. I always found it fascinating that our ancestors and older cultures knew about blessing food and how it affects and works on our bodies without the knowledge of quantum physics. Well, yeah, we, they actually, this is fascinating. I've gone to some conferences that were started by physicist David Bohm and Leroy Little Bear, who's an indigenous elder from the Blackfoot tribe, and I think out of Canada, and then some wonderful native indigenous elders here in the United States, um, like Leroy Sekatera and, uh, the linguist Dan Moonhawk Alford, and, and what they did when they started these conferences that I was fortunate and blessed enough to attend is they brought together physicists with indigenous elders. These are Indians who have these traditions we're speaking of, and also linguists. And that was a powerful combination because the importance of the linguist, that was um, Dan Moonhawk Alford was there, uh, is that he was pointing out that often our language shapes the way we think. And when you look at the way the indigenous people talk, 
you could say, well, they didn't know about quantum physics, but then you hear the way they're talking and you begin to recognize that what they're describing is process, that everything is connected, everything flows, and that there's this level of interconnectedness that's happening and interrelatedness that's Mm -hmm. naturally here already. And that blew David Bohm's mind because when David Bohm was uh, sharing his ideas, he has an inter- he did have an interpretation of a of a holographic um, universe that this is a way of looking at this implicate order. Um, there's an ex- I don't, I'm not going to get into all the details, but basically everything's folded together. Like if you stir, if you slowly stir a can of paint, um, and then it looks like it's blending, you can actually unstir it if you go backwards through time, and then you can see the relationship back to um, the way everything was before it, that started. So a lot of the bizarre spooky action at a distance phenomena and retrocausality of quantum physics can be understood just in the way indigenous elders speak. So that was in their language. And some of the basic concepts that were fundamental to indigenous wisdom are also fundamental truths within quantum physics. I just wonder how they figured it out with like a hardened collider. Without a collider? Yeah, like, like, like now we, like, we have like all these scientific instruments to measure everything and the colliders and atom splitters and they didn't have any of that. All they had was their consciousness. Right, but they are master level observers. So uh, um, if you're a good enough observer, I think that's what the indigenous peoples definitely have been for hundreds of years, thousands of years, you know, when, when you're observing carefully, then you can notice things that are right in front of our eyes, but we often don't observe. And so that's how I think they were doing it, is really paying close attention and noticing, like the Hopi Indians. I, I wrote a paper about Tunachiava and Tunachia, which are in, uh, Hopi words that mean comes true, being hoped for. And I, in that article that I wrote for Parabola magazine, I wove together the ideas of quantum physics and this indigenous wisdom from the Hopi, that when you have this alignment between your head and your heart and your crown chakra is open, uh, that's a kopavi, they call it the kopavi, the, the crown of your consciousness is open to receiving wisdom, which might you might get from just observing, from fasting, from meditating. You know, they would do vision quests and they'd have an awareness that would come to them. And then combine, uh, you want to integrate that with your, heart-centered awareness and when people do that then the Hopi definitely had these words for it that's just what you expect it comes true being hoped for because that reality is already out there so that this is these are parts of this quantum physics that the Hopi and other indigenous elders and wise people uh, they knew they knew that uh, that w- what you think and how you think it when you feel it truly when you're in resonance within yourself you absolutely can see physical changes happening, you know, in the world around you. Hmm. Do you think people should be careful of what they think? Well, I think people learn by, by making, you know, mistakes. They say that, uh, <laughs> you know, good judgment comes, um, comes from, you know, making mistakes. It comes from, you know, making bad, bad er- error judgments, but you don't know that you've made a mistake till you've, had some experiences where you've gone out and done things. So 
I think it's uh, for those people, anybody who knows better, like if you already have learned that the way you think and the way you feel is having an impact on the reality around you, to, to me, it seems obvious that, that um, in that case, one would want to keep one's thoughts and feelings in a positive direction for everyone, rather than ever sending out negativity to anybody or anything that's because it can have a negative detrimental effect um, that I've witnessed that directly. So I've learned, even if there's somebody I really disagree with, and I think they're full of beans and causing damage in the world, I will be sending them blessings um, because that's the right thing to do. It's, uh, it's, it's not appropriate to lash out with anger and hostility because it just, it just creates more d damage, more drama, more pain. Oh, absolutely. Fighting with fire with fire doesn't work. Um, so, when, like with your book, Aura Advantage, how did you start looking at people, like doing, do you do like aura readings? Yes, I've, um, I used to, back when things were more open, of course, <laughs> I was, I, back in the day, like 20 years ago, I would frequently go to psychic fairs that they would have, um, metaphysical shows, um, mind-body consciousness shows, that sort of thing, and be able to do intuitive readings for people of various natures, either could be an aura painting or an aura description or just reading the energy centers in their body or just a intuitive reading with their levels of themselves and their angelic guides. So it's just being a, a listener and showing people. My favorite thing is to show people they can do this too. So it's not so much that I'm a performing pony or something. <laughs> I, I would love people to know you can do this and you can access intuition. You can access this direct knowingness. You can, Start listening to the feelings in your body. And that's where it really begins. Pay attention to the dreams that you have. Um, pay attention to how you feel when you think about things. And it's okay to have those feelings, whatever they may be. But it's, it's really good to become conscious of them and, and then develop a greater and greater level of love, peace, harmony, well-being, joy, reverence, bliss, gratitude within yourself. And as much as possible, live that way every day. When that happens, then we're really changing the planet you, know, you can see it real time you can you can really witness evidence of it not just in your immediate vicinity but with everyone you're connected to hmm. um how, how when, when you how did you start seeing auras was it as a result of the kundalini awakening or is it something that you learned afterwards or before um, well, all my life I was witnessing energy. I remember going back to early childhood, I could see energy thought forms. I, um, I could see what seemed like uh, intelligent entities that were just roaming around. They might be scuttly little dark things that would, in the nighttime when I would try to sleep, they would interfere with my sleeping. And so I'd have to do lucid dreaming to kind of shake that off. Uh, so it, it, just a whole bunch of strange experiences started when I was quite young and noticing that other people didn't see energy fields. They didn't talk about things that um, are outside of the typical range of human perception. So uh, 
many, many years I spent living my life with those capabilities somewhat shut down. I think I started shutting them down between the ages of five and seven. Uh, at age five, I just wanted to leave this place. I thought it was the wrong planet because I can't talk about or share these experiences. And plus, people just seem kind of mean, like they they don't remember who they are. So I felt like it, a terrible mistake had been made. Um, but I had an angelic intervention at age five. And my guides very clearly showed me that I chose to be here and my family and other people needed me and they, they would need me for my entire life. And if I left, I would just come right back again because when I, when I'm gone, I'd remember why I was here. I just had a bit of amnesia. I'd forgotten why I was here really to help people. And I know that when I'm between lives, but I've forgotten it. So, so yes, I could, I, I could see these energy fields and sense these energies. Sometimes it's more of a direct sensing, um, but I can see fairies in the garden and, elves when I'm hiking through the trails and I see diva spirits in the trees and I see them in the weather systems and patterns and they seem like they're there's this intelligence that we can see pretty much everywhere around us that, that sounds magical it sounds far out it sounds woo woo but because I've been witnessing it all my life and I know it's real um, and then post kundalini now I know I've got the responsibility to sound like a bit of a weirdo and say, and just be, go public saying, yeah, this stuff's real. And everybody can see energy fields. We just, I, I think everybody can when we're quite young. It helps to be a bit nearsighted. It helps to not focus your vision. But if you just hold your hand up with a white background or just some sort of ordinary background behind your hand in the distance and then sort of softly focus your vision right between two fingers, for example, and then just daydream. Like you could just listen to us talking while you're doing that. And with you want to, if you don't know what you're focusing on, then mm -hmm. focus on a finger for a minute and then just bring your folk, your, your um, direction of vision to look in between two fingers. And mm -hmm. what, what you're capable of starting to see is, energy just um, radiating right off your fingers and this can be seen on cameras too that are sensitive we we have photographs that show people emit light from their fingertips but you can actually witness it you can see it real time this is a kind of observation these indigenous elders and um, first nations peoples have been in doing for so long interesting i'm doing it now mine looks like a purplish maroon sweet that's really nice yeah that's indicative well, depending on the um, your own sort of subconscious beliefs about colors, but for most people who are of these Western worlds, Western nations, um, that purple and an indigo kind of maroon, those colors are moving toward the higher vibratory frequencies, which are often associated with the crown chakra and showing a very strong dedication and focus to spiritual teaching, uh, to being a leader and living by example and really keeping spirituality at the focus and front and center of your life. Oh, that's good. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird. Like one thing I've noticed, like, you know, I've, I've experimented with this and, um, you know, I, I'll take off my glasses so I don't see clearly and then I can see it. But when I, but with my glasses on, I don't. Is that common? It is, yes. And it has something to do, again, with softening your eyes. Um, soft 
this is something we're not taught in the West, but let's go there because we keep bringing it up. We've, we've touched on several aspects of this. Yes, yeah, soft eyes, gentle eyes, um, that's the way to see energy. It's actually the way to see the real reality is to take a, instead of a sharp focus where you're locking in on classical physical reality, the things we can measure and so forth, with soft eyes, you're allowing yourself to perceive things that might be a little bit different that might enter um the perimeter of your the per, you know the periphery of your vision they might enter right where you're not really sure you saw something because they're so far to the edge um but if you just keep relaxing and just keep your eyes soft and gentle and it does help not to have glasses because glasses they seem like they're a reminder to us to sharpen our focus to lock things in on the material world mm -hmm. but if you but when you soften your focus, then you can start to see original intent. You can actually feel the presence, for example, of an animal before it shows up in your field. It, like you'll know, and I th I'm sure this is the way the Indians would hunt in America back in the old days. Um, they would be able to just be very quiet, be very still, soften their vision. And they can actually feel before, before anything comes in. You'll know it. You'll know like, oh, a squirrel's going to come through and then a rabbit and then a deer. And, and, you know, you'll just get all kinds of information that doesn't seem like it's related, like it's a way of knowing things that you're, everyone's capable of receiving. That's really cool. And it's cool that you teach this people how to do it because it's, it's not a superpower. It actually is a part of who we are. Yes. There's so much that's a part of who we are that we've somehow um, covered over in our quest to, for bigger, better, faster, more, and having the most toys and just the whole material realist paradigm. If you, when you pull all those layers back off again, then you can be like a child again. And then these are abilities that we've, we've all been born with. We were all given, I think most of us, and even if people can't see with their eyes, uh, people can definitely see with, with their eyes closed. That's another way to see energy weirdly you can just close your eyes and then sometimes some people see better they can see better colors and they, they feel like they can relax more i know that's true for me I, mm -hmm. I feel like my my best vision is with my eyes closed um one of the things like when i close my eyes i i always wonder if what i'm seeing is a you know like like, like if i'm looking at a light and i close my eyes and you have at least an imprint on your retina Versus something that's an actual um, energy field. Yes, like an after image mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there is that, that. That is an effect, but that's not the effect we're looking for. So if you're picking that up, that's okay. You can just say hello to it and recognize like, okay, so we're do, that's happening. But what we're looking for is not that. Uh, that's just sort of. You can just sort of let you can say hello to it, let it come, let it go. What we're looking for would be a um, a very dynamic, interactive energy field. So your true energy field is kind of um, it's it's always moving. It's like if you've ever seen an image of like this radio show we're doing, and you've seen sound waves moving. They go up and they go down. They're it's like flickering. It's like watching a fire flicker. The energy field of your hands and your fingers. Is moving so if you even with your eyes relaxed you can see it's expanding it's ebbing it's flowing it's you might see colors changing 
you might see a flash of light you might see all kinds of things so um, that's not the after image the after image that's that sort of shows up and then you just let that kind of subside mm -hmm. and when it does then all this other stuff starts happening i was just having a conversation with another guest and he was telling me how one of the good things that, that has resulted as of COVID is the social distancing because we stay further out of each other's space. So we're not invading each other, which causes less anxiety. Do you think um, when people enter each other's energy fields, they kind of mingle and you pick up other people's energy? And if there's somebody in the crowd that's in a really bad mood, it just messes everybody up. Wow, yes, it can't. Uh, when I coughed, and uh, something I wasn't going to say, that, that's my guides telling me, go ahead and say it. Like, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And ideally, of course, we'd get to a point in our spiritual paths where we'd be impervious to being negatively affected or influenced by the presence of others in a bad mood. However, I think as long as we're in physical bodies, we'll be dealing with some of this. And that's just the way it is. But the good news is, and that's why I was coughing, like, and then I th that, that means, okay, go ahead and say it. So I'll say it. Um, yes, you can. Uh, you, once you've learned to ground your own energy and you know how to clean, get yourself back to neutral so that you're not triggered by a memory of the past or something you think that happened or some bad thing someone did. I mean, lots of bad things happen. We all come into this world and we're all victims. None of us have a perfect childhood. We've all had tremendously challenging issues and things that uh, have been traumatic for us. So our mission, if we wish to accept it in this lifetime, is to rise above that drama, above, uh, you know, recognize, okay, I've, I feel like a victim and I know I'm right and they're the bad guys. And, you know, you, you know, this is happening when you're feeling a sense of blame and pointing your finger at someone like they did this and like, okay, okay. So as long as if you're in that state of mind, or if someone enters the room and suddenly you find yourself, whoa, I don't feel quite right. You know, I'm feeling way off. And it, it may be subconscious or you might actually start feeling, um, if you have a close relationship with the person, you might get some actual stuff like, oh, they did this, they're bad, you know, whatever. So, and maybe they are, maybe they did all sorts of bad things. But that's, the point is, each of us deserves to have our own tranquility, our own peace, our own harmony. And so the thing I was <laughs> once we learn how to ground ourselves you can and i have uh, grounded others so if you notice that you're in a room and the person in one situation it was the person running um, the group um you know gathering that was the person in charge and clearly they were upset clearly they were angry and this person sometimes had anger issues uh, when as soon as i learned that i could enter that room feel the anger and then i would notice well from for me to feel better, it's easiest for me to ground that person, and then we all feel better. So I would just do that, and um, just just a simple grounding exercise. And you can do it as qigong with breath, movement, and imagination. I would just do a grounding for that individual who clearly trusted me on a spirit level, so allowed me to do that. And then it was a benefit for the entire group because then no longer was there that sense of angst and anger that's really not needed. Uh, I don't think for pretty much any gathering it doesn't really help. And I, we'd, I'd see this instant improvement of his energy field and the energy in the room. Just wow. So much better. Mm -hmm. And then it also works the other way too. Like there's always those people like 
you just want to be around them. You just want to be close to them. You want to just kind of, I don't know, hang out in their energy because it's so good. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love that aspect. I do martial arts. And here, um, our grandmaster is still alive. I do Kuksu Wan, which is it's in many countries around the world. And just um, it just has, it's a Korean uh, comprehensive, very old school martial art with a legacy that goes back thousands of years and dates back to a combination of royal court and tribal and Buddhist teeth. I am strong, I am smart, and I have a good heart. And it sounds simplistic. It sounds almost like, why are we doing this? But if you keep that at the center of your, at the core of your being, it does create that quality of intrinsic goodness that, um, you might think it's strange to have that as martial arts, but it's a lot of sense because uh, there's a feeling of family that can come from martial arts and a feeling of community that's possible when people feel this and bring that into um, into the dojang or you know some people call it a dojo where people come to study martial arts mm-hmm. and when you when you enter that space and you just feel that love from the instructor, then of course it just makes you feel like I want I want to live this way. And so it's a great teaching to help all of us bring that into our lives. Hmm. Can we use that same energy and send it out to heal the world? Yes. And that starts with each of ourselves. Um, So it's good to, it may seem like, why do I have to start with me first? (laughs) But it's, you know, the world starts with you and each of us is an observer. We are changing reality. So just like if you're cooking and if you're angry, then that puts that energy into the food. Um, or if you're doing art and you're angry, that's angry art. Anything you do from an emotional place, it's going to benefit from coming in grounded, centered, feeling loved, feeling loving, feeling uh, that's perfect balance point of neutrality, but there's no strong energy really yanking in any direction. And then from there is a perfect place to bring great love to the world and basically just love whatever you feel inspired to love this is it's not like some homework assignment like you're forced to love things you don't love um it's just good to bring love to the world to whatever if you like a certain kind of music or a certain nationality or country or people or groups love them bring blessings to them and when we each do this we uplift one another and the entire planet I was reading actually it was just yesterday about meditation and you know and sending out you know a prayer or mantras or whatever you want to call it. And in the book it says that all it takes is one percent of the people to do this type of practice and it will automatically affect the other ninety-nine percent. Yeah, ever- I don't know if it's yeah, um, well, that's like a tipping point kind of a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I think we see it with, like right now we're witnessing the Mandela effect. And it's only a small percentage of the populace that's um, currently that's witnessing it. But that looks to me like it's a it's an experience of collectively 
engaging mind matter interaction on a community level. So it's like prayer in action, even though the stuff that's happening with the Mandela effect seems trivial and harmless. And uh, well, some people would say, no, the Bible has changed and that's my sacred text. Okay. But, but you know, basically at, I still would say that for the most part, the Mandela effect is benign, benevolent, and showing that we're moving in a positive direction. That if we look for it, we can see that we're really bringing about positive changes on a global scale. And right there, you see that this very small percentage of Mandela effect affected people who would definitely say, yep, this is real. I'm not confabulating. I'm not misremembering. I know for sure this stuff is different. Um, that small percentage I, I agree with you. I, I know we're changing the world. And you can uh, access it through prayer, through meditation, through just focusing your intention. And I, I would recommend use those soft eyes, use a gentle heart, come from a place of peace and benevolence, just this neutral sort of an internal balance point where you're not feeling uh, stressed, anxious, or anything like that. You're just feeling... Uh, in your meditative state, hopefully everybody listening achieves something like this in a meditative or prayer state. That's when you get to that point, that's where you can then start bringing um, intentions and blessings for others with great positive beneficial impact. I never thought of the Mandela effect as a result of people changing their conscious awareness. Um, I don't know, it's weird. But I have experienced it because I always thought there was a dash in the Kit Kat bar. Yes. Yeah, I remember the dash quite clearly. And, and I just thought they changed their logo. <laughs> it's like, well, that happens. And then I saw it come up as a Mandela effect. And then I realized it never had the dash. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> That's just so weird. And I'm, I, it's not that I bought that candy all the time, but it was... It was everywhere. It's at the grocery store. It's movie theaters, mm -hmm. you know, air, airports, everywhere I'd go. There it is. And now uh, grocery store shopping can be quite strange because so many things in the stores seem quite different now for yeah. those who are Mandela effect affected. But I wonder why it would affect something so trivial. Uh, it's a gentle wake up call. It's just sort of like uh, instead of the alarm that's just um, sounds like dive, 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 like we're under attack. And this is a submarine and get down instead of that kind of a wake up call. It, to me, it seems like a very gentle wake up, like this, like your favorite song playing softly on the radio, like time to wake up humans. <laughs> You've got this time <laughs> to start, <laughs> start collectively, collaboratively creating. Wow. Um, when you speak with, uh, your spirit guides, what is that like? Um, I mean, did it, do you see them? Do you hear them? And are, are they with you all the time? Or do they just come to you when you ask them? Well, mostly they are not intrusive. So they are, um, that applies to my high self too. So there's an element of me that's the, like the infinite, eternal, energetic, always me, the 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 part of the, the version of me that I remember from before I was born. That's like my high self, and mm -hmm. she's very wise and <clears throat> has access to all the various 
possibilities and ways I might choose to grow. And then the other angels are very similar. They, it's almost like they're all in cahoots at that level. So angels are pretty much consistently the ones that I'm talking with. Um, they are non-intrusive. So the only time they would ever butt in is if I'd, um, if I or someone else had had a standing request for my protection. And then it's possible that an angel might sort of barge in or butt in just to save the day. <laughs> like, like, stop don't cross the street right now and suddenly a huge truck comes barreling through the intersection against the light um so that kind of thing could happen and <clears throat> but aside from that <clears throat> angels are they wait for us they're right there with us but they they leave our lives to our conscious choice and our free will to explore um so <clears throat> they're not hovercraft type um participants they're much more uh you know supportive they're so, so it's, for me, it's the best way to communicate with them is to invite them in. To, I, I do that by thanking them and really being appreciative that they're inspiring and protecting me and everyone and everything I love. And that's such a great starting point for the day to just feel that, that actually any point you happen to think of it is a good point to just really feel blessed and grateful for this connection that we all have with angels that you might not feel... I can understand if people feel like I don't hear my angels. I don't see them. I don't know that I'd like them. I wish I had them, but I, <laughs> but where are they? Okay. It, I, for those people, I would say you have them. I know you do. And they're just being very polite. And I understand a lot of people it's um, it's, it can be challenging to, to get the degree of interaction they would like. <clears throat> so there are ways to waken that up. Um, depends on the individual, but wow. um, typically, I call them in when I need their assistance or would like their help. Um, and I think we should call our angels in a lot more often. I, I think pride is the human's main problem. And we often think like, we've got this, but actually it would be nice to get a lot more help. I think. I find that hard too. And that's come up in some of my other episodes where I've talked to people who do a lot of work with their, um, guardian angels. And I said, Oh, you know, I don't like asking for help. So one of my guests said, oh, you know, instead of asking for help, why don't you just ask for a sign? Right. And I was like, huh. I, I, you can put standing orders out, too. I, I've got a standing order or request that if there's a message that the angels are trying to get through, make sure that it's fun and lighthearted and, then you know, sort of comes in joy and comes in a grouping of three because that way if i get three of them then it's like oh my gosh this is for me and i'll stop ignoring it <laughs> oh, that's what my, you know that's something my mom used to always say i always thought it was some kind of i don't know pennsylvania dutch superstition about the things happening in three it's, it's a sign well if you're asking for signs and if you're reading everything if you're reading daily life like a lucid dream by recognizing like in this moment this is a dream. And when you recognize like, oh, this is all illusion, which is what we get when you go through Kundalini awakening, we get reminded of that fact. And then everything can be seen quite clearly as being uh, symbolic, that everything that's happening is talking with you, communicating with you. Just, and I think that those old people call them old wives tales, or but it's really wisdom. It's Pennsylvania Dutch wisdom. I come from Swedish immigrants and there was quite a bit of, you know, the native wisdom that's 
true for the the Swedish people and the Finnish Swedes. So quite a bit of um, ethnicity and both from Finland and Sweden both. Mm -hmm. And there's just this amazing depth of sort of these cultural traditions of what does it mean when someone sneezes once, twice, three times? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it sounds silly, but there was meaning to all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. They were very superstitious. That's interesting, you know. I mean, I guess there were a lot of wisdom in those cultures. But I guess the the food wasn't that good, though. I gotta say, my mom was not a good cook. (laughs) Um, Where did my brain just go? (laughs) I think doing three episodes a day... (laughs) Killing right. my brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing we haven't talked about much is just this idea of um, quantum jumping. And I, I don't know if you're into that at all. But yeah, that's, let's hear about it. Okay, that's so cool. And it ties in with what we've been discussing because, of course, it's got quantum in it. So it's all about quantum physics. And it's the mind-body-spirit connection. And it ties in with this idea that we might exist in a like that David Bohm holographic universe. And when I look at the idea of quantum jumping, the the concept that I'm sharing is that it's possible to basically live in in an awareness that we're existing in this holographic multiverse. And we have access to pre-existing realities, which are like parallel realities that are right there. And they're being orchestrated by our high selves. All these different possible realities are right out there. We can literally jump to another reality. Um, you know, people see this with spontaneous remission from disease. Um, we see it with the, I think, with the power of placebo. And we can witness it with uh, just the fact that we've got this mind-matter interaction and we literally do exist in a superposition of states, parallel realities all the time. So if you start thinking like, okay, that's a cool idea. How does that work? Um, then just recognize it starts with a decision. Just this, this uh, you know, you get into a daydream kind of state of mind. We've been talking about that a lot so far. The That place of balance, that peaceful state where you've got those gentle, soft eyes, the peaceful heart, you're in harmony. And from there, you can let go of pretty much all attachments and what you thought was happening, what your beliefs were. And from that place of balance, you can sense possible realities that you might feel them as energies. You might feel them as something you can just reach out and touch, like it's right there in front of you. And you can pull it closer. You can say, that's the one I want to choose. Uh, You can go by the feeling of it, or you might get a vision of what it looks like, that uh, this is the you that's confident, inspired, fearless, joyful, and healthy, prosperous. You feel like, yeah, 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 I want that one. And then just (laughs) just feel like, okay, that's the one I'm stepping into. And then when you come out of this meditation, the third step is just acting as if you're in that reality. Like you saw it, you felt it, now you're there. What would you do now to stay there? And sometimes it takes a little energy to stay there and a little commitment uh, because sometimes we can get spooked by, oh my gosh, this worked. Uh, Everybody's treating me differently. 
like my landlord likes me now. I heard a woman tell me last week and it was shocking to her because she'd gone from what had been a very adversarial situation with her living environment to one where she's now being offered the apartment of her dreams. The landlord is nice. Everybody's polite and respectful. And none of this was happening in that other reality. That was just like, you know, just like literally like a moment away. It's just like it all changes. And this is what's possible. So I'm describing it. And then I publish a newsletter every month, Reality Shifters, which is full of these firsthand reports. So if you feel like, well, I've got doubts, I don't think this could work for me, then you can see um, it's just a free newsletter that comes out with wonderful experiences that people have every month, um, just noticing reality changing. Um, is that sort of the same as the law of attraction? Well, the law of attraction is similar in the sense that there's both of them recognize that you don't need to be stuck in a reality that you don't like, that if it feels like it's off, that you can do something about it. So there's the similarity. And both of them, I think, recognize that there are many possible alternatives out there. And both of them recognize that these are the like points in common. Another commonality is that you, what you can do about it is you can stay focused on what you desire and act accordingly. So there's a lot in common there. Um, the, the, then it sort of veers off and it's a little different because the quantum jumps is much more like the indigenous teaching that's um, the perennial philosophy. It's, it's just like everything's already there. The, the indigenous people would tell you um, that there's nothing new, that you can't create anything new because the creator already created all of creation. Everything's here. And so this is, I know that sounds weird, like, well, wait a minute, these indigenous peoples, they didn't have cars, they didn't have TV sets, they didn't have the internet. Yeah, but they talk about realities where they remember that a lot of these things did exist. They have actual stories um, that they passed down talking about how the world ended, that we're in the fifth world, and it's ended several times, and so on and so forth. Okay, so getting back to law of attraction. Um, what, what I would recommend, if you're comfortable with law of attraction and that's working, great, stick with it. Um, but this is a little different from the standpoint that the quantum jumping concept is awareness that you are identifying with your observer consciousness is switching over to becoming identified with your high self. And as your high self, it's just like when you're driving a stick shift car and you need to shift gears. You can put your foot on the clutch and free up one reality, one gear, move your car from first to second. And it takes a little energy, but if you're meditating and if you're eating well and you're staying in that central neutral place, and you're not getting agitated for things, then you'll have the energy, no problem, to shift from one reality into another. And with quantum jumping, it's this idea that the that reality is already there. It's just, it's, in fact, you can feel it there with law of attraction. It's like you're attracting it to you. Mm -hmm. And with this other approach, it's more a spiritual approach as I would recommend it. Quantum jumping, I would recommend definitely let yourself change to be in the reality that you most desire. And you'll see that you are different. Your eye color may change. Your hair color may change. My, my hair went curly. So with quantum jumping, you change. Wow. I don't know if I want to change. But it is cool. Like one of the coolest things that I find about this is the idea 
that everything is all happening at one time. And there's this possibility, or, or not even possibility, it probably is true, is that there's more versions of me living parallel lives. And I can choose which life to place my consciousness in. Yes. And so it's it's not so much. So if you look at it that way, then it's not you changing. It's just that your daydreaming is becoming real. Something you've only thought was that was my pipe dream. Like now I'm living my dream. That's quantum jumping because that's you deciding I want to live that dream. I, I dream it all the time. It's always right there. I'm ready for it. And if you and th- but um, that woman I was talking about, Anna, that has this phenomenal apartment situation. She didn't want to change. She felt she kept hitting that wall, like whoa. But I'm I'm kind of comfortable with my landlord hating me and everybody. This tiny cramped place I don't really like, you know, because I know it. This is the reality I know. What it's scary to. She was scared. She, there was like it was nerve wracking to feel like she has to hold that version of herself that's just like hello everybody and you know just a song in her in her voice and it's bouncing her step and to be that person that everybody now loves and adores and now she's got the apartment of her dreams living the life of her dreams she had to change but she felt like it was worth it and but you're right a lot of people don't want to change and if you notice yourself saying it that's okay whatever you do don't feel bad what you don't want to do is start going down a downward spiral at that point kind of like oh my gosh i'll never get anywhere because you know i'm afraid to change Mm -hmm. just be kind to you got to be really go back to that benevolent loving soft gentle place where you can just hug yourself like okay i get it you don't want to change cool we don't have to change today you know just take a deep breath. It's okay. In fact, we won't ever change unless you want to. So it's not like these things are happening against your will. Far from it. it takes, wow. a, takes a good bit of energy to make that jump. It takes that commitment. Like, I am the person who does this. And then you do that. Then you are that person. If I make that jump, um, that, that still means, too, I'm not completely giving up on that old me that's living that crappy life, that old me still living that crappy life just somewhere else. Yeah, it's like a different version of you that doesn't, mm-hmm. like if you're going to, like if you want to quit smoking and you're going to do a quantum jump to quit smoking or quit any habit like that, the new you that doesn't smoke is different because um, I'm not saying you smoke, but if, if that was what it was, a lot of people do smoke or they have various habits they want to change. So if, especially that's a, a very addictive one. So if you're addicted to cigarettes, that's tough or it seems tough. It's brutal. I know. So then, you know, like, okay, I need so much energy to make this jump. I, But then you actually already know this. You know the version of you that can do this. And you know how you can do this. You know, are you chewing gum? Are you, you know, what are you doing different to make that work for you? And so it's, 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 a, it's really good to get to know this, to get to know yourself. And I think quantum jumping brings you a great deal of self-knowledge this way. Do you think when we're, we're faced with decisions and we choose one way or the other, uh, that it can create a parallel um, timeline? Um, well, like I said, those timelines are already there. Mm-hmm. It can strengthen a parallel timeline. 
it, it, so what I mean by strengthen is these uh, possible timelines are possibilities. They uh, it, within this this goes back to quantum physics. So there's an idea in quantum physics that um, that quantum physics denies a single history. That in actual fact, any given point, like right now, there were many many possible pasts that brought this moment to be. And not just one, but a whole bunch of them. <clears throat> so uh, this is just bear with me a minute because I know this is, seems like it's off topic, but it's not. I'm, what we're doing now is looking at how did we get here from before? And I want us to recognize that it was not a straight line. This moment now is not a straight line. This moment now has come from many, many, many possible pasts. Okay, so that's where we, we need to kind of grasp that and really kind of revel in that. And that's true. And this is not woo-woo. This is Stephen Hawking and, and Brian Hertog that published a paper talking about, um, they, they were bringing these quantum concepts into the macroscopic reality. They're basically saying that physics, quantum physics denies a single history, whether it's for the Big Bang explosion because we might think there's only one big bang. They say no. They say no, and we're going to look for the proof that there was more than one. And so these guys are scientists, and they, when they have a theory, they say, let's not just say something off the top of our head. Let's back it up. Let's go find it. And so this is something that um, scientists are able to do, is go look for multiple background radiations from multiple big bangs. Okay, so now your question was, in this present moment, because now we're looking back and like, oh my gosh, we've come from many, many possible pasts. This, by the way, would explain the Mandela effect, reality shifts, um, quantum jumps that we've been having them lots of times in our past. So now, any given moment, we're looking at all these different possible realities. And of course, we're able to choose amongst the many timelines. It's, it's like a network. It's kind of like um, a neural network of neurons in the brain. Uh, it's like a tree. We were talking about the tree of life. It's like all these branches going out uh, from this moment now, now going forward. And we know based on what we can see in the past that we, like, I remember some things from my childhood differently than, than my family does. They have completely different memories. It's like they lived in a different reality. And that's okay. That happens. So I know that's going to happen going forward. And that's okay. So going forward, I'm looking at these different possible realities and how I'll be different in each of them. And what unites each of us is our high self. It's our eternal, infinite spirit and soul. Uh, that's our unifying life force. That's the, the spirit that never dies. That's why love never dies. That's why our relationships matter. So we can see as we make a choice that we're kind of pruning the branches on that tree going forward. Like which ones do we feel like I'm, I don't need to be a rock star in this lifetime. I guess I've given that dream up, so not going to do that one. But I think I'll explore this other branch and maybe this one. So you're keeping options open. And at any given moment, you're based on how you truly, genuinely feel and what you really know you need. That's your intention and your attention combined with your imagination. And these are levels of yourself. These correspond to chakras, energy centers. What you need are the lower chakras. And that's where you really have a very strong focus of attention. It's like what you need, your, your attention's on that. 
you know, like if it's fight or flight, your attention is fully focused. And then intention is your heart. It's like what you really love the most. And imagination is your head. So this is the high self, middle self, low self. When they're lined up, it's possible to get instant manifestation, instantly be in that other reality, suddenly have that quantum jump and there you are. The phone is rung and it's exactly who you needed to talk to for this next big step on your journey. And it's amazing. So yes, one decision, um, but it's so much more than just one decision. So that's why I took a moment to go through a little bit more depth here. I hope you don't mind. No, no, that was fascinating. That was really amazing. The, the idea that, um, I don't know, like, I, I think about my own personal, like, like it's kind of funny, imagine like the rock star thing, because like, that's all I really wanted to do when I was a kid. And um, I never expected that I would end up doing this, but 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 here I am, and uh, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's really cool. I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. I, does the subconscious mind play any role in this? Yes, and that subconscious mind is that low self that really tells what you're paying attention to. <clears throat> it's kind of like don't think of a purple cow and then suddenly that's all you can think of is a purple cow mm -hmm. and the subconscious um, subconscious is running the show because what you really need is what you're going to be focusing on um well on that level uh, sometimes people would beg to differ and they'd say i disagree with my subconscious i you know i want to win the lottery and but if your heart's not in it winning the lottery and you know you don't need it then you've just about lost um you know, it's, it's kind of like mutiny on the bounty. The captain is trying to get, our, get come on, guys, we're winning the lottery. But the, the crew has left the ship. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, nah, we don't need that. We don't want that. So, yeah, you can really, I forget what your question was. Um, sorry. <laughs> I forgot, too. So this is, this is just yeah. subconscious at work here. <laughs> totally. Oh, my gosh. What a brilliant example. That's what we were talking about, too, the subconscious. Yeah, because the subconscious gives you what you need and what you're attending to, you know, usually it's life or death. It's fight or flight. It's the daily stuff. It's the lower, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's going to be the basic stuff. It's the low part of that um, pyramid. But it's so important. So when your basic needs are met, then your subconscious is like, okay, I can relax. You, you want to do your meditation practice so that your subconscious doesn't have a trigger finger and doesn't get triggered by everything or by things that are happening regularly in your life. You know, you don't want to get triggered all the time. So there are ways and practices to, you know, to break out of that. You know, I, I just recently was hearing about Cogno movement and that's one set of tools that Bill McKenna works with. And I was talking to him on a, webinar it was really phenomenal and he's basically sharing these ideas that you can feel in your field your energy field that when you feel like there's something blocked you know, from a dream like to be a rock star and you can just feel like here it is you can you can actually feel it just close your eyes and sense like i can feel where that is and then like okay i think i'm going to clear that and what he was demonstrating in the webinar is just clapping your hands so once you feel it you can but first feel it like run your fingers through it feel if it's good. how big is it what does it look like what is it what shape is it 
kind of become familiar with this little blockage to that dream. And then when you feel like, okay, I see it, I feel it, I know it, then you can just clap your hands right there just a few times, like little bright claps. And then that can signify, I'm going to clear, break this energy up, bring light and love and just break up that blockage if you're ready to. Mm-hmm. So, and then what that does is it opens it up. So if you're meant to be the rock star, you can also you can keep your podcast and be a rock star too. And amazing, bizarre synchronicities and phenomenal blessings and basically miracles can start occurring where none of that had been happening previously. Hmm. I have to say, now I think maybe the podcast is more productive than me being a rock star. I think for me, I would definitely vote podcast if I was the one, if I get a vote in this. <laughs> like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad Gary's doing this. <laughs> yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? The best way to find me is through the Reality Shifters website. That's realityshifters.com. And sign up for the newsletter. I just send out one mailing a month that goes through email. And to make sure it's not spam filtered out, then you just um, make sure to set up a filter for Cynthia at realityshifters.com. That's my email. So if anybody wants to directly contact me, they can. But I've got a YouTube channel. I've got Facebook. I've got, um, I'm part of the International Mandela Effect uh, Conference. Uh, we're a nonprofit. I'm the president of that organization. We're doing monthly events that you can join in and see how are we co-creating this golden timeline? What's going on? How are we doing so far? Check in with us. And we're getting real results between, between our monthly broadcasts. It's super exciting. That's imec.world, I-M-E-C dot W-O-R-L-D. And so those two websites would be the, the big way. Okay. Uh, definitely after the show, if you have a chance, email me to all those links into your YouTube channel, and I'll post those in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check them out while they're listening. Thank you. I really appreciate all the questions and comments you've asked, and we definitely have talked about everything imaginable. (laughs) (laughs) Including uh, plant music. I love it, yeah. Well, plants are pets, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm really into plants and animals lately. It's, it's so so healing for all of us. And it's a way of staying connected in the world that we're really meant to do. We're meant to be caretakers, uh, you know, through consciousness, but also through just daily farming and gardening practices and being with our pets and our animals, too. Yeah, it's cool. Keeping a, keeping a life on that level is the best way, I think. It's just, oh, it's a lot of love there. Yeah, so much love. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on today. This is great. Thank you so much. And I'll just, if you don't mind me closing, I like to ask my favorite question and get people to have something in mind in addition to all the good stuff that they liked. And that question is just how good can it get? Not just for each of us, but for all of us. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Awesome. Thank you. And hang on one second. And I just have to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. 
You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.